And welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as a founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, man, do I have a lot to talk about in today's episode. We've had a lot of trades, and as we teased on Monday's episode in the Dodgers Farm System Breakdown with Jack McMullen, what we talked about there was... Hey, we're going to start breaking down some of these trades and some of these returns. It's exactly what I'm going to do today. But also, I have a little bit more information and a little bit on scouting reports that I want to talk about. After going to the Marlins complex, I got to see some Mets prospects and I saw a lot of the Marlins blue chip prospects as well. So I wanted to talk about some of my takeaways there. I've had a really good time kind of just going around. I'm planning on going to the Houston Astros complex, possibly going back out to Port St. Lucie to see the Mets complex as well. They have some really cool things going on here on the backfields. A lot of it is accessible. Uh, I was able to get media credentials for that, but a lot of fans are able to go. So if you're in the South Florida area, you're able to go and watch these games. And what they do is, at least the Marlins did it this way, they had a high A game that was either one day it was against another high A team like the Mets and that group, or they did it where it was intra-squad, and then a double-A slash triple-A game on the other field. So I'm going back and forth from both fields. I go to one field, and and these are right next to each other. They're adjacent. And I'm, I'm watching Max Meyer, uh, you know, pitch to my good friend Griffin Conine, and then I walk back 20 feet over the other way, and I'm watching Khalil Watson square off against Zach McCambly or whatever young arm the Marlins have out there. McCambly more of a double-A guy, but they mixed and matched the teams a little bit, especially on the pitchers and catchers side, just to make sure everyone's getting their innings. Point being, really cool matchups, and I was seeing a lot of really cool things on both fields and got to see plenty. Uh, The day before, I saw some of the Mets prospects. Unfortunately, Beatty and Alvarez had an off day that day, but got to see some of the more underrated guys I'm excited about. So we'll definitely talk about that. I have a ton of video over the last few days, so check it out on Twitter. You can go look at my personal Twitter at RMLateNate. I was tweeting about a lot of the guys that stood out to me, and I'll be doing that for farm systems across baseball when I'm in person at the ball games once the season starts up, and of course on the backfields as well. I also have to talk about these prospect returns. Uh, since the last episode, We've had a few trades go down. I want to talk about the Matt Chapman trade that went down earlier this morning. This would be as I'm recording this in the middle of the day on Wednesday. There were some interesting deals. I initially did not love the return, but I always like to sit back and let it digest a little bit, think a little bit more about it, go back in, dig up my notes, watch a little bit more fresh video on these prospects. I don't dislike the return for Matt Chapman. I'm sorry for the double negative. I don't hate the return for Matt Chapman as much as I did initially. Uh, Not that I ever hated it, but it's grown on me a little bit. And I'm going to explain why it's not the worst thing because I'm expecting the A's to make a lot more moves. And I think they'll go get more of those lower level high upside guys. But on this Matt Chapman return where the value maybe is not quite as high as some of the other pieces that they may be able to trade out like Frankie Montas. And uh, we'll see. I think his value is probably higher than Loriano, but the control of Loriano could make his value a little bit more interesting. Um, 
I think they went the safe route and went with more of the closer to big league ready guys, although they did still get a high upside piece in Gunnar Hogland. So I'm going to talk about all of that. Of course, I got to break down that even bigger hole, which was the Matt Olson trade, which went down on Monday right after Jack and I recorded that Dodgers episode. That is an interesting haul as well. You could say it was headlined by Christian Pache. I would say it was headlined by Shea Langlier, so I'll get into that package also. I'll start with Matt Chapman, and then we'll finish up on the episode with the players that I saw on the backfields and actually why some of my takeaways from these players had inspired me to invest in some of their baseball cards as well because there's a few guys out on that field that I've been looking at. But let's start with this Chapman return. So the full trade details as this. Chapman, of course, goes over to the Blue Jays and going over to the A's is Gunnar Hoglin, who just went 19th overall in the 2021 MLB draft, despite going down with Tommy John surgery before that. So that shows you how much upside he has. I'll be getting into him in a second. Kevin Smith, who is a big league ready He's listed at shortstop, can play shortstop in a pinch, will probably slide right into third base for the A's. Big power bat that put it together in AAA last year, but I don't know if I'm totally sold on him. We'll talk about him. Zach Logue, who is a very underrated left-handed pitching prospect that should be ready to go right into the rotation for the A's. He's going to be 26 by the time opening day comes around. Good success in the upper levels of the minors, deceptive, and I think a high floor back into the rotation arm, and then also Kirby Sneed, who is a top 30 prospect for that Blue Jays organization, but probably a relief pitcher ultimately, and uh, that's what he will be probably right away in that A's bullpen as well. So they got three pieces that will be big league ready immediately, and then the upside piece and Gunnar Hogland, who really it wouldn't be surprising to anybody to see this guy be a top 100 prospect once he's fully ramped back up again, and I think he should be good to go at the early point of this coming season. I think what sold the Jays on Hogland was the fact that, and and by sold, I mean to take him 19th overall when you are really taking a guy on that is coming off a Tommy John surgery and had really just gotten it, so you knew he was not going to be able to pitch in that first season, was the development that we saw in his junior season. He was really darn good that year. We saw the velo tick up to 93 miles an hour, touching 95. The slider and changeup both flashed plus, and I think that was the big selling point, right? Quality fastball, not an elite fastball, but quality with a good profile. And then the slider is fantastic. And throwing the change up 10% of the time, which is what he did uh, before going down in 2021, I mean, that was the most encouraging thing, right? Because you see him going to that pitch 10% of the time when he doesn't really need to. You see most college arms, even in the SEC, which is where he was in Mississippi, they can really ride fastball slider. 93 mile an hour fastball and a good slider. You don't need to move in or mix in that third pitch very often. He did it. And the numbers were just fantastic in his 11 starts 62 and two thirds innings, 96 punch outs, 17 walks, and a 287 ERA. He's got good command. He repeats his mechanics well. I don't really see a long term injury risk. I think what it mostly was short in 2020, then a big VLO jump in 2021. He jumped by almost three miles an hour. Sometimes it's a bit of a shock uh, to your arm. So I think he's going to be good. And what I like about Hogland is that he was a guy that was an offensive prospect as well. He swung the bat a little bit. And in his first summer collegiate season, he swung plenty in the Florida Collegiate Summer League where, I mean, the thing I look for there is 
He was never going to be an offensive prospect, but the fact that he could swing the bat a little bit shows what kind of athlete he is on the mound. Two-way prospects are becoming more and more popular, Uh, and I'm not saying that guys do both at the professional level, but teams really like pitchers who were able to hit. It's more balance in the body, use of all the muscles, less risk and strain on the arm. So while he did go down with Tommy John surgery, which seems like almost unavoidable for a lot of people at this point, There's a reason to believe that there's not a ton of injury risk there. You see a lot of reason uh, to believe that he can repeat his mechanics well because he showed an ability to do that. He's a good athlete. I really like Gunnar Hoglund. I think the upside is massive. He's got the three pitches already that he commands well. And assuming that he is good to go uh, back from Tommy John surgery, if he's sitting 92 to 94, touching five and six with his changeup and with that slider, that's the crown jewel of this return here. And that's the big upside piece. But on the flip side, I mean, the A's probably could have gotten one other high upside piece in this deal, and that would have been it. Instead, they go for more of the quantity. Uh, After getting Hogland, they decide, hey, let's get some pieces for the big league level now that can help us now and still potentially be a part of the future. Kevin Smith is exactly that, and Zach Logue is exactly that. And especially when they trade imminently trade Sean Manaya. Logue slides in as that lefty. He's not going to be as good as Manaya, but Logue is sneaky good. I'll get to him, but I want to talk about Kevin Smith first here because he's a bit polarizing. You look at fan graphs, they have Kevin Smith ranked 16th in their top prospect list. And you might think, oh, but that was before. No, this was actually their recently published top prospect list for the Blue Jays. They had him ranked 17th. And you remember that uh, not too long ago, we saw Keith Law have Kevin Smith as a top 100 prospect. So that shows a little bit of the polarization here. And I'd like to just take the cop out and say, oh, well, I reside somewhere in the middle. Well, the middle is massive here because we're talking about a top 100 grade on him. And then we're talking about a 16th ranked prospect in a singular team's organization. And the Jays have a good farm, but not that good uh, compared to some of the others. So it it, it is showing on the fan graph side that they're just not really sold on what we saw from Kevin Smith last year. I am sold that he is a big leaguer. Um, And again, I know that's a very general statement, but I would say putting him 16th on the top 37 prospects in the Blue Jays system is kind of saying that you're not sold on him being a big leaguer. I'm not sold on him being better than Oswald Peraza or everything I went into on that rant about uh, the top 100 list that we saw from Law, but I I do understand some of the things that Keith Law sees here. I mean, Kevin Smith at one point was a very interesting prospect. Swing and miss crept in, approach issues, 2020's canceled season uh, was an impact on him because he was 22 in double A in 2019, struggled, and was kind of ready to come back and swing it. Didn't get a chance to do that. So, our sample size of Kevin Smith was a bit limited, right? Because we, we look at 2017, he plays in rookie ball and he performed fine there. Then in 2018, he absolutely mashes in low A and kept that rolling into high A. He was good there as well. So then we get to 2019 and as a 22-year-old, he struggles with that big jump from high A to double A. And then that was it. The last we saw of Kevin Smith for more than a year. So for two years, we're holding on to all we can remember is the 32% K rate Kevin Smith that hit 209 in double A. That was his first stint in double A. So he comes back after 2020. Kevin Smith's almost more forgotten at this point. And he did what he was supposed to do as a 24 year old in triple A. He mashed. He hit 285, 375, 61. So 144 WRC plus with 21 jacks and 18 stolen bases. And remember, the rules as they pertain to stolen bases did not impact AAA. So those were legit stolen bases. This is a guy that to me, I think I was extremely harsh when I was talking about uh, the the Keith Law ranking of putting him in a top 100 because I think that is extreme. But I, I think he's a top 150, top 170 guy. 
I definitely think he could be. Uh, at the very least, a top 200 prospect. And I know that sounds very wide-ranging, but there's a lot of really talented guys out there. As I'm finalizing this top 100 list for just baseball, there's about 50 dudes I could justify putting in the 80 to 100 range. So I would probably venture to say that he's a top 150 prospect, top 160. Uh, but I just think that there's there's a bit of a threshold from there that I don't see him cracking the top 100 list. Still, very, very interesting player. That is big league ready. Uh, right now, he did get a taste last year, struggled in 36 plate appearances, don't really care about a 36 plate appearance stint at the big league level, uh, but he wasn't great then. He's going to get another look next year or this coming season right away, and I presume he'll be playing a little bit of third base, a little bit of shortstop. We'll see what he does. We'll see what the plan is. Nick Allen's not far from being big league ready. Ultimately, I think the plan is to put him at the hot corner, Kevin Smith, and I think he'll be good there. So you have above average speed. I have 55 raw power there. Uh, I, I think the hit tool is is the big question, but I think he showed a lot of ways that he could be better in that department, cutting that strikeout rate down to 24%, bumping the walk rate up to 11% at the AAA level. I don't have a huge problem with Kevin Smith as a return in this trade here because you're getting a big league piece. I have a problem when we're ranking him ahead of 19, 20-year-olds who have performed at the high A or double A level, uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. What we're looking at is a return for the A's. We're not talking about prospect rankings, and that's why I think it's a good piece here to get because I, I really think with Gunnar Hoglund as the headliner, and you could argue that Zach Logue is another good piece, which I'll get to, I'd say Kevin Smith is probably the second best piece here, uh, but there's a scenario where Logue ends up being the second best piece, and I think that's very possible as well, so I'll get to Logue in a second also, but to wrap up on Smith, athletic, almost was 2020 in AAA last year, I have a 55 raw power, I have 55 speed on him, the hit tool is the big question, he has good bat-to-ball skills, I mean, 85% zone contact is more than good, it's, it's more than fine, uh, it's the higher chase rate, it's the approach that we're going to have to see from Kevin Smith uh, that needs to continue to improve, but I will say he was able to hit home runs and, and feast against Breaking balls, change-ups, he hit fastballs well. Sometimes higher velo blew him up a little bit, so I want to see that. But this is a guy that just needs to cater his approach to his strengths, lay off the elevated heat, and feast on everything else. And that's kind of what he did last year. So he may have figured himself out as a hitter. Overall, it's a good piece for the A's to get here. And then you have Zach Logue. So Logue is interesting to me because another dude, as I mentioned earlier, slots right in to the rotation for... I would say the A's on opening day. Uh, Logue's a bit older. So these are two older prospects. And that's the crazy thing for the Jays is I know people are probably wondering, how did they get Matt Chapman without trading Jordan Groshans? Well, it doesn't sound like the Jays are done shopping around. They've even inquired on Jose Ramirez, which is crazy. I don't think that trade's ever happening. But I will say that the fact that they are even shopping around shows that they're holding on to their blue chip prospects or their higher level prospects because they're still looking to potentially make a bigger deal. And I don't know if they really were super excited about parting with some of these upper level guys. Logue is a really good depth arm for them that if Hyunjin Ryu got hurt, I would assume he might be the first guy up to slot in there depending on Nate Pearson's health because Logue was really darn good between double A and triple A last year. He actually took his game up another notch in triple A. He's got fantastic command. He mixes his stuff up well. Uh, Nothing jumps off the page in terms of his stuff. The fastball is more 91 to 93, will occasionally touch a four, but he comes from a high three quarters release point, which I think really makes the fastball explode out of his hand with a unique 
backspin profile to it. So from that high three quarters release point, the ball takes off out of his hand. It plays up as a 91 to 93 mile an hour fastball. He's your classic lanky lefty, even though he's only six foot 180. He's got long arms, long limbs, and that that pitch really just gets in on you quickly. He does a good job of of really getting the most out of his fastball. Then he also has a few different ways he can come at you. He has a cutter that he likes to bore in on the hands of righties in the upper 80s. He also has a slider that he'll manipulate it to that is a bit more of a sweeping pitch that also is good against lefties and righties. He likes that pitch more left on left, and it works really well left on left. Then he has a curveball, a slower pitch that he'll mix in to steal some strikes, and a changeup as well that he will throw a good deal. He throws it a lot to right-handed hitters, but he's not totally afraid of going left on left with the changeup either and has had some success with that. So I really like the arsenal because, again, when when you're a guy that's not going to have a plus offering, when you have a bunch of different ways you can go at hitters, uh, that's going to help you stretch out from start to start, especially because if they know the deal, right, they know, okay, 91 to 93 mile an hour fastball and he's got a pretty good slider, you'll get figured out. But he can attack you in a few different ways. You might be thinking you're seeing more of the cutter. Nope, he's manipulating it more to a slider this time around the lineup. Or vice versa. You saw a lot of the slider. Now you're geared up for that. Now you're getting a harder and shorter version of it in the cutter. Uh, Just even mixing in that curveball to remind you that it's there is enough to keep hitters honest. And then the changeup, while it's not great, he locates it well enough. And by what I mean by not great, the profile, it's not the nastiest changeup you'll ever see. But from that release point off of that fastball that has some sneaky life and his ability to locate the changeup, it plays up well enough and is good enough to get right-handed hitters out. He reminds me a little bit of Austin Gomber with the Rockies, and if you remember back to the Lockdown MLB Prospects days, when I was breaking down that Nolan Arenado uh, disgrace of a trade, I did say that I thought Austin Gomber could be the one dude out of that deal that I like, and he actually ended up being pretty good for them. I think that Logue could be better than Gomber because he has more of a unique arsenal. He has a deeper bag to tap into, and I think that cutter is a big difference maker, and it was really effective for him against right-handed hitters. I mean, it works against lefties, too. He can kind of go with any of his offerings against lefties, and that's why lefties were really bad against him. I think it's sub-600 OPS, left on left. Righties were in the low 700s. That's a good sign. I mean, at the worst-case scenario, you've got a reliever here that can take out lefties, but I think you're really looking at a starter because the stuff is not off the charts. But I would put a high floor on this dude, and I expect him to anchor the back end of the rotation for a while for this Oakland A's team. The last piece here is a guarantee, a literal guarantee to be a decent bullpen arm. I will die on that hill. Kirby Sneed. And I know it's hard to get excited about a bullpen arm, but if you're going to get a throw in, would you rather have a lottery ticket or a guaranteed almost good lefty bullpen arm? That's up to you, but I think you already got your, and I think it's selling Gunnar Hogland short by calling him a lottery ticket, but you already got your upside risky piece. Instead of going with the Dominican Summer League lottery ticket, they go with Snead, who's going to go right into their bullpen and help them immediately. He was very fine, very solid in seven and two thirds innings at the big league level last year for Toronto. And in AAA was disgusting. A 1.58 ERA in 40 innings in AAA. You look at the stuff, the fastball is mid-90s. He's a southpaw that just has a little bit of that natural giddy-up as well, but the slider is outrageous. 371 opponent OPS against that pitch. It is sweeping. It bites. It is good to lefties and righties, but I mean, that pitch is downright nasty. He also has a changeup that he can bring in against righties as well, so 
that that's a dude in Kirby Snead that I think could be stretched out a little bit. I don't know if they'll ever do that. Uh, he made one start last year in AAA, so I don't think he'll be stretched out too much. I think he struggles to sustain velo, but he has three pitches, so he has a few different ways he can go at you. He's not just a lefty specialist because of the effectiveness of that changeup. He's nasty. He's absolutely nasty. He could be a multiple inning reliever type. Uh, the slider works really well against righties. It works even better against lefties. The changeup is a nasty offering against righties as well. So this is a dude that could be a legit setup man for you. And at 27 years old with a ton of control, Kirby Sneed could be a nice piece. So not a bad final little piece in this return for the A's. And real quick before I get on to the Matt Olson part, from the big league perspective, I love this for the Blue Jays, right? I mean, they don't part with any of their elite prospects. Gunnar Hoglund is far off, right? He's probably not going to be up in the big leagues for another three years minimum. I think he's going to climb quickly for his profile, or at least for a guy that's coming off of Tommy John with zero professional innings. I think he's going to climb quickly because of the reasons I talked about before, the command, the three pitches, the mechanics. I think he's going to be fine, and he's going to come up through the minor leagues pretty rapidly. But at the end of the day, you're, you're trading a guy that has not made a single professional pitch yet for a team that's looking to try to win now. You don't touch Jordan Groshans. You don't touch, of course, Gabriel Moreno or Aralvis Martinez or Nate Pearson or any of your elite prospects. So, I mean, it's, it's a win for them. And from the major league just team component, I love the addition of Matt Chapman. I think his offense is going to tick up. Of course, it's another year removed or actually now a full year removed from the hip surgery. Hips really impede your swing. I always talk about getting into the back hip. I always talk about all those things. Matt Chapman's hip impeded him in 2020. That's why he got the surgery 37 games into the season. Then in 2021 was his first year back from the surgery. Just did not feel 100% for most of the year. It didn't seem like. Finished strong though as well. He's also going from one of the most pitcher-friendly parks to a more hitter-friendly park in the Rogers Center. And also he could bat seventh in that lineup and nobody would bat nine. So he's not hitting in the middle of the order and seeing less pitches to hit. He's probably going to get a lot more to hit, a lot more protection, a lot more opportunities with players on base. And let's talk about the defensive side of things, right? Bo Bichette has been inconsistent defensively at short. The Blue Jays have three starting pitchers who were among the top 30 in ground ball rate last season with Hyunjin Ryu, with Jose Barrios, and now Kevin Gossman. Those are three guys that are going to get a lot of ground balls there. And now with the shift being limited, you have a shortstop that is not that consistent defensively in Bichette. The shift being limited, adding Chapman to the equation there will be a big difference maker on the left side of the infield for this Blue Jays lineup and just another dude that hits bombs. So I absolutely love that move for them. Let's talk about the Matt Chapman return and what this looks like for the A's as well as they overhaul their farm system. And of course, I can't forget that I also need to mention the Seattle Mariners and Cincinnati Reds trade. I'm sorry I didn't mention that on the jump. You're probably wondering, oh, whoa, is Arm going to talk about Brandon Williamson? You know I'm going to talk about Brandon Williamson. That's my guy. I am really excited about him potentially having a quicker path to the big leagues now with the Cincinnati Reds. Totally forgot to mention that out of the gate as well. So I'll talk about him right after uh, we get to this Matt Olson return. So the breakdown on the Olson trade here. Includes Christian Pache, of course, the wonderful defending center fielder. Then Shea Langliers, who's a really exciting catching prospect. Ryan Cusick, right-handed pitching prospect, who is 
incredibly explosive and powerful on the mound. Another first-round pick in 2021 is dealt here. And then Joey Estes, another intriguing right-handed pitching prospect from the Braves. So a pair of right-handed pitching prospects as well as a big league ready outfielder in Christian Pache or as big league ready as Holt B. And Shea Langliers, who is probably pretty darn close to being big league ready, finished the season in AAA last year, was great in AA for the majority of the season, absolutely raked, and the defense is ready to go as well. I mean, he is a wonderful defensive catcher. Assuming that the A's are looking to trade Sean Murphy, it sounds like that that could be a possibility. Langwears could be big league ready within a month or two of the season. I'd probably say closer to two months or so. I want to see him with at least 150 plate appearances in AAA with some success there before we, we call him up, let's say, to the A's. But he'll be ready to go pretty soon. And I don't think it really makes any... It doesn't make a difference for the A's. I think they're mailing it in this year. It's pretty safe to say that. So Langliers will be up at some point next year. And Pache, assuming that the A's also trade Ramon Laureano, Pache will probably be the center fielder on opening day. Even if they don't trade Laureano, he'll probably be the center fielder on opening day because Ramon Laureano is suspended for 28 games due to the PED suspension that started from last year. I'll start with Christian Pache because, I mean, there's no doubting the defensive ability. I mean, he could be one of the best, if not the best defensive center fielder in baseball. Uh, By the time he is playing a full season up there, he is still young. I mean, that's the thing. He's 23 years old, and he, he will still be 23 years old on opening day. It feels like he's been around forever because he debuted at the big league level in 2020, though it was very brief and part of that Braves postseason run. He was uh, getting some spots here and there, especially on the defensive side of things. He came back last year and played 89 games in AAA, was okay offensively there, literally the definition of average, 265, 334, 14. That's a 100 WRC+. plus. Also got some opportunity at the big league level and 68 plate appearances was absolutely atrocious. 111, 152, 206. That's good for a negative eight WRC plus. So not good at all. It's actually 108% below average if that's how it all scales out. Not good. And I just don't believe in him offensively. I hope I'm wrong. And he could make some major changes to his swing to make it all work. And I've said this for a while. I've been talking about Christian Pache probably since 2019 and saying that I just never thought the swing would work. There's too many moving parts. There's an aggressive approach here. He's never walked. Um, The moving parts, he struggles to time up in the box. There's a hitch in his swing. He's pull happy. He's always looking to do his damage pull side because he struggles with his timing. He's trying to catch things out in front. And as a result, trying to catch heaters out in front. When you get the breaking ball, you are going to flail at it. And he did a lot of that as well. So just a lot of non-competitive swings, uh, even when he's connecting, oftentimes rolling over to the left side. I don't see the approach. I, I don't see that swing translating. And I'm just not a believer offensively, but he doesn't need to be great offensively. He just needs to be okay. So if he can make some adjustments to his swing, make some adjustments to his approach and his setup, maybe you could still get a pretty decent big leaguer here because even as an average offensive piece, he is so darn good, so darn good defensively that you could hope for a Kevin Kiermeyer type, but I really struggle to see a way that he produces even that kind of offensive production. I know he's got more power, raw power in there, but just in terms of what you're getting offensively, I don't really see him giving you league average offense. I just think he's going to get overpowered by big league arms, but I guess it was worth a shot here for the A's. I would have been pushing much more for Michael Harris, maybe even Drew Waters. I don't know if Pache is a guy that I want headlining, quote unquote, this deal. To me, Shea Langliers is is the headliner of this deal. And I'm very curious if both these teams saw it that way as well, or if Pache is still viewed as as that main piece, because Langliers 
was really good last year in double A. I mean, 258, 338, 498 slash line. That is a 128 WRC plus 22 home runs. And not to mention, this guy is a fantastic defender. Rocket for an arm, good receiver, and good blocker. He calls a good game. All signs point towards him being a very mature and good leader behind the dish. Good field to hit overall for a catcher. Got that little call-up to AAA. I shouldn't say call-up. Promotion to AAA for five games and was fine there. So we'll see him start next year in AAA, get more experience there, and then eventually get called up. But when you're a catcher who's good defensively, who hits 22 home runs, has a lot of the intangibles that you look for, I'm very excited about this guy, right? Like that's somebody I'm really excited to get in this deal. And he could really honestly end up being very similar to Sean Murphy. So if they get a big time haul for Sean Murphy and they believe that Langliers can pan out, you could be maximizing assets here. But I love Langliers defense. The offense really came along. The power surprised me last year. I'd put a 55 raw power on there, but the game power really coming through here. The defense is good. The hit tool is much more improved than I thought it would be. Great piece to get here. The two arms are very interesting. Cusick is high risk, high reward, tons of reliever risk, but could legitimately, when I talk reliever risk about a guy, this is another dude that his risk is being maybe one of the best closers in the game. Like That's how nasty this stuff is, and I think that's what the A's wanted to bet on. I think they're hoping to develop him. Obviously, I don't think you won take a guy in the first round uh, as the Braves did if you think he is limited to a reliever. And two, I don't think you trade for him this early if you think he is limited to being a reliever as well. So the hope is that he will be continued uh, to develop as a starter. In 16 innings last year, in low A after being drafted, he punched out 34 batters, 34 Ks in 16 and a thirds innings, only four walks. So just blatantly overpowered, guys. It was the fastball slider combo. The fastball is a, a 70 pitch, 96 to 99 miles an hour, 2,500 RPMs on it. Crazy run and life to it. The slider is wipeout, really nasty as well. Those two pitches are are right now, as currently constructed, I put a 70 on the fastball and I put a 55 to 60 on the slider. I think Fangraphs has the same thing. The command is a question. The third pitch is a question. We barely saw him sprinkle the changeup at all on his pro debut. I want to see him do that more this coming season. I know that's something he's been working on through the offseason. If the changeup is even half decent, literally half decent, it could be a 45 changeup. His fastball and slider are so elite that he could be a really, really darn good Freddie Peralta type of starter and ride those two pitches to success. Mix in that change up 10% of the time and you're in great shape. You could go fastball slider and get righties out every day of the week. And that slider will get lefties out. Just got to sprinkle in that third pitch. Q6's got big time upside. He's a big dude at 6'6", 235 pounds. Another Wake Forest big arm with great metrics. Look out for him. I'm really excited about what he could potentially do this year, but I'm also very wary of the risk. There's definitely a lot of risk here between the command, between the third pitch, and we'll have to see. But the fallback is literally being a guy that could probably stuff-wise slot into a bullpen right now and be a back-end reliever. That's how good the stuff is. So we'll see how the third pitch looks. The fallback is, of course, just being one of the more lights-out relievers in the game. That's how electric the fastball is. Remember, he's sitting 96 to 98 as a starter right now he would probably be flirting with triple digits plenty as a reliever, but there's still hope. And I know that the A's are really hoping to be able to develop him and turn him into a starter or keep him in the rotation, I should say. The next piece here is a really good piece if you're going to call it the fourth in this uh, deal, right? If this is the fourth piece in the deal, 
This is a really darn good one. Joey Estes is a high pitchability guy. 2019, he was drafted in the 16th round and already looks like a massive, massive steal. The guy has a great feel for his offerings, mixes in a high spin fastball, another data darling, 2,500 RPMs, 93 to 95 miles per hour, a good slider that was more than effective, a good curveball, and a good changeup. So he's got three secondaries that he can come at you with and a fastball with a great profile. Not a surprise that Estes, as a guy that was drafted in the 16th round, a guy that was 19 years old, really, last season, his first full pro season, did what he did this past year. I mean, he was great. He made 20 starts in low A, 99 innings, pitched to a 2.91 ERA, struck out nearly 12 batters per nine, and only walked about 2.6 per nine. If you're is someone who prefers percentages, as I do, more than K per nine, 32% K rate, 7% walk rate. I mean, that was fantastic as a 19-year-old in low A after being drafted in the 16th round. This guy is extremely talented. And do I have some questions as to how the secondary stuff will play up against more high-end competition, but against the low-A competition, that stuff looked really good. He got some goofy swings at both the slider and the curveball. The changeup might even be his best secondary pitch, and that's the most encouraging thing, right, is, is if the changeup is his best secondary pitch, then you can get a guy to develop a breaking ball a lot easier. And it seems like that changeup is the furthest along. I love the feel for it. And with a high spin fastball, good changeup, that's always a good mix there. Decent pair of secondaries, and you are in very, very good shape. So Estes is a guy that's high floor. I don't think he's ever going to be a top-end, front-line starter. I think he has number three upside if this stuff continues to progress the way we think it can and the way it looks like it can. And I think the A's are really excited to add him into the fold. If this is the fourth piece you are getting here, like I said before, you are very, very happy, especially with a dude that has the fastball profile, two breaking balls, and that changeup that already flashes above average as well. He's going to be an interesting one to follow and probably will be one of those fast climbers up the prospect rankings in the A system as he continues to have success. I expect him to probably carve through high A pitcher or high A hitters, I should say, pretty quickly and could get the nod to double A quite early in the season. Again, here, a little bit of everything in the deal. They get the volatile high upside piece like Ryan Cusick. I would even argue that Pache is that volatile high upside piece. Shea Langlier's high floor, really good catching prospect. Estes, he's far off, but still a higher floor as well. So balance across in that deal. I think it's it was a good package given that the Braves don't have the best system in the world. It was a good way to get a little bit of pitching, a little bit of offense. And look, this A system is getting better very quickly. Of course, they are giving up a lot to do that. And it'll be interesting to see what they target in the coming trades as well. I'm going to wrap up with some quick thoughts on Brandon Williamson trade with the Reds. I say Brandon Williamson trade. It's really the Jesse Winker trade. Uh, but again, that kind of shows you where I'm at with the prospect thing, especially with Brandon Williamson. I was brought on to a Reds show, the Mo Egger show, which is a ESPN radio show in Cincinnati. And they basically just asked me, and Mo was asking me just, hey, can you, I saw you said this wasn't the worst trade ever for the Reds. Everybody is swearing off the team. Can you talk us off the ledge? And I, it goes more into the big league side of things. I think getting rid of Eugenio Suarez's contract was a big deal. I think there was a lot of things that go into it. Jesse Winker, I think, is a glorified platoon guy, personally. I mean, he can't hit lefties. Left on left, 570 OPS. Uh, he doesn't stay healthy. I love Jesse Winker. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, he's a guy that feasts on righties, is a subpar defender, 
doesn't stay on the field that often or as often as he should, and he can't hit lefties. He's limited, and and the Reds were not going to win with that guy playing every single day, especially with their limitations against lefties. So I was trying to explain that, but the real reason why I really like the deal is that I think Justin Dunn is a good flyer as somebody that slots right into the rotation and you still hope for the upside. And I think Brandon Williamson now gives the Reds maybe the most exciting trio of pitching prospects in baseball. You know how much I love Brandon Williamson. I talk about him all the time. But now you have Nick Lodolo, you have Hunter Green, and you have Brandon Williamson. One, two, three there. That is insane. And that rotation, that could be the rotation come 2023. Williamson had great success in double A last year. Nick Lodolo had great success in AA last year. Hunter Green had success in AA and finished the year in AAA and was more than solid there. Just has some things he needs to iron out with that third pitch and that fastball, just not leaving it over the middle as much. I mean, three pitchers here now with crazy upside that all have had success at AA and could be big league ready in 2022. I am so excited about the future of that rotation. I know Reds fans don't want to hear it right now, uh, but they are really reshuffling things around. They're going to have one of those cheap, really exciting rotations similar to the Marlins, and I think the Reds can spend in the right spots. They have some offensive pieces already with John India. Joey Votto still bangs. They've got dudes. I think they can put it together, and that young rotation could be really exciting really, really, really soon. I'm a big fan of being able to get Williamson in that deal. From the Mariners' perspective, taking the Eugenio Suarez contract was worth it because they don't have to tap into George Kirby. They didn't have to give up Noel V. Marte or, of course, J-Rod or any of those guys. They gave up a good piece. They didn't have to give up Matt Brash. I think they preferred Williamson, clearly, especially after signing Robbie Ray. They still have Marco Gonzalez. So I, I don't know if they ever wanted to have three lefties in the rotation. Makes sense that they decide to part with the Southpaw. And I was asking about it before. We were talking about it, right? As the rhetorical question was, who do you part with, Brash or Williamson? It seems like it was going to be one of those two guys. There's our answer, but I think Williamson is going to be fantastic, and that's going to be a really fun young rotation. I'm going to wrap up with some final thoughts about what my takeaways were at this Marlins camp, and it was Marlins-Mets at some points too, uh, the one day I went, but the day that really stood out to me was when I got to see Max Meyer toss into intra-squad, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what I saw from Meyer, uh, but a few quick underrated Mets prospects to keep an eye on. I loved, absolutely loved what I saw from Kevin Kendall. UCLA, I don't know what position to call him because he played a lot of center field at UCLA. Seventh round pick in the 2021 draft. He can play all over the diamond. I saw above average of plus run run times there from him. Left-handed bat, sprays it all over the field. I watched him shoot a line shot to left field, one at bat. Back up the middle, another at bat. They had him at shortstop defensively. The arm was good enough there. The actions were strong. He can play second. He can play third. He can play all the outfield spots. And with that sweet left-handed swing, bat to ball, sneaky pop, I'm a big fan of Kevin Kendall. He put up good numbers. I believe it was an 870 OPS in limited action in low A last year. Look out for Kevin Kendall. Mark my words, that guy is going to be a quick climber and has all the tools to be a really good super utility type. He is a good piece for the Mets there. And then also Jalen Palmer, a guy that I ranked number nine in my in our, our Mets top 10 prospect list. Jalen Palmer is as imposing physically as I thought he would be. I mean, he is a big, big dude. He swings it well. I was impressed with the fluidity of his swing. Very controlled body. 
Yes, there's times where he looks a little bit sped up in the box, but I was very impressed against some really good pitching prospects from the Marlins, including Zach McCampbell, who had a nasty, nasty breaking ball. He was throwing 84 mile per hour curveballs that had guys looking silly. Check out some of that video on my Twitter. And he was laying off of him. He had a good approach. And I'm very encouraged by Jalen Palmer. Look out for this kid, too. He's got big time upside, a little bit risky, but big time upside. Max Meyer was insane. He was carving guys up. That slider is 70. It's a 70 pitch. He was sitting 89-91 with the slider, doubling, tripling up on it. It was disgusting. Fastball was 95-97, to a bit more life than it was looking like before. And what I loved is we saw a lot of change-ups from Max Meyer. I saw Max Meyer mix in a lot more change-ups in that intra-squad, and nobody really hit it. The only hit that he gave up was an oppo single off of one of the change-ups to Griffin Conine first pitch. That was about it. So it was a very impressive outing from Meyer. Some scouts from other teams there, as we know that Meyer is a name that has been floated a little bit. I'm starting to think he's not going anywhere, though, unless there is some trade I'm not aware of. But I mean, I cannot express how ridiculous that slider was. Again, I have more videos of that on my personal Twitter where you can check that out. But wow, wow, was that slider playing. And I just loved, I was very encouraged by the willingness to mix in the changeup. But I also want to talk about Zach McCambly because Zach McCambly's 85 mile per hour curveball is ready to go in a big league bullpen right now. And the fastball was up to 95. I know that people don't like to invest in pitching prospects, when it comes to baseball cards, but that's a name I'm going to float a little bit on Friday's episode is a dude I might be picking up some cards of because I think McCambly could be a really solid middle rotation starter. That's the upside, but worst case scenario, he could be a really exciting and electric closer and he's got the personality and the moxie on the mound to match it. I'm really excited to talk about some of the names that I have been scooping up. I've also made one of my biggest card investments ever, which I'll mention on Friday's episode. I'm a little bit now anxious just because I've never spent that much on a singular item, I think, ever, uh, besides just baseball and and the company and investing everything into that. So this was my first uh, outside of life and business purchase that makes me uncomfortable. So I'm excited to talk about uh, what got me to do that and breaking that down on Friday as well. But the final thoughts on what I saw on the backfields there, Khalil Watson, Khalil Watson's bat speed is insane. And some of the quickest bat speeds, quickest hands I've seen in a long time uh, from a minor leaguer. He ripped, ripped some baseballs. Similar also was Jose Salas. Jose Salas, another Marlins prospect. Shortstop, probably moving to third. He looks bigger every time I see him. Rocketed some balls as well. He's got some crazy raw pop. Those two guys are names to watch and guys that I think could have big years this year. I would like to see some better body language, some better, uh, just a better overall attitude from Khalil Watson on the baseball field. That was pretty obvious. You you could see uh, just the the body language at times, just not there for Khalil Watson. But Jose Salas and Watson are some of the most talented hitters, I think, in the Marlins system. Obviously, people know about Watson a bit more, given that he was a first-round pick uh, and has the upside and fell from the top five. A lot of people thought he could be a top five pick. Salas is starting to be a popular baseball card that people are scooping up. I'll talk about him on Friday as well as to whether that is a good investment at his price. But I was really impressed with the swing from Salas. It's smooth. His body control is is up there too for a young hitter, especially with a young hitter that has grown so much over the last couple years physically. And man, he is crazy 
quick to the pull side. You can't beat him inside. I'm starting to see him get better at using the whole field. So Salas is another name to watch moving forward. And a name that I know the Marlins could move in a bigger deal, but I don't think they are eager to move him. They really do like Jose Salas, who also has a brother who is a big international free agent. So look out for him too. He's been tied to an NL West team as of late, and it's not the Dodgers. So that is another dude. It's the Bloodlines, the Salas family. They got some guys that can play. And look out for Jose Salas. That's a top 100 list watch name. Literally, like could be a guy that hits so well this coming year that he shoots into top 100 consideration. I think with a good start to the first few full months of the season in high A, there's a chance that Salas could make his point and make his case, I guess, to be a top 100 guy. So look out for him as well. I'll have a lot more information as I start to go to Houston, uh, Houston's complex. I'm not going to the literal city of Houston, but I'll be going to Houston's complex in the coming days, getting some video there. We'll have some reports back on that. And a reminder that you can keep up with everything on the prospect side of things at JustBaseball.com as well as free agency, our free agency thread uh, for all the updates on trades and everything that's going on there. We have not missed a beat on the website. Our managing editor, Ryan Finkelstein, has done a great job over there. And if you could take a moment to leave a rating for the podcast. I would really appreciate it. Share it with any of your prospect-loving friends as well or any card-loving friends also or Dynasty Fantasy, whatever it may be. Anyone who would have an interest in prospects, I would love for you to welcome them to this show. Thank you so much for listening as always. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Enjoy March Madness combined with the madness of the baseball hot stove right now. It should be a lot of fun. And I'll talk to you on Friday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.